let me say, there's a word that comes to my mind as, as we watch these videos and as we kind of take a turn this month to start uh, really just thinking about the way that we engage, not just locally here, which we're very much engaged locally, but also things that are happening around the world that we are involved in. And there's a word, and here's the word, it's gratitude. I have gratitude for you. Those of you who are online, we're so grateful for you. Because these things where people's lives are being changed, and, and everything that you heard, those guys, okay, we're talking about Honduras. Last week you heard from Pastor Charles, if you were with us, about a church that's being planted in Harlem. Uh, you also heard a, a video from Pastor Jermaine, a church being planted in the Seattle area. And, and we're involved in a number of things that are happening around the world. I'm grateful because all those things are happening because of your generosity, because you've believed in the vision to, to give into something that's bigger than yourself. And as I think about that word gratitude, also this word just overwhelmed me this morning when I was driving in. I have a routine as I drive in every Sunday morning early. I try to get here really early, but, I, but as I'm driving in, I'm praying, I'm seeking the Lord for you, seeking God, just God's face for him to speak through me today to you. But I also, I pray for all of the churches in the community and all the pastors that I know, and I call their names out to God because I want God to do a movement in our city, amen? I want him to do something not just here, but all over the place. But this sense of being overwhelmed by this gratitude that God has invited me, me, into the process of what he's doing here and around the world. It blows me away sometimes. Now, here's one of the advantages that I have of being a pastor in the area where I grew up. I grew up here. I was a kid here. Went to school at Boswell. And, you know, and, and uh, so that's where God saved me. Uh, and, and I start, whenever I go down this road here, okay, and I'm usually going eastbound to go into town. We live over in this side in the west. And as we're going in, I always drive by Boswell, and when I drive by Boswell, I start thinking about that's where God got a hold of my life. You probably have a place like that, right? I start thinking about that. It hits me all the time. And the next thing that happens is I end up driving by our church building, and it blows me away because I, I, feel, this, I feel this overwhelming sense of gratitude. But there's also another word that comes to my mind. It's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous when I think about, and I went to school with some of you, you know me, you know what God saved me out of and how he saved me. Um, it's ridiculous that the ridiculous generosity of God, how he has saved me, how he has not only saved me, but he has also called me and pursued me, and this is what blows me away, and has invited me, I don't deserve it, has invited me to be a part of what he is doing here, but also all over the world. We're celebrating this month, 24 years ago, when God first called Hope and I to plant this church in this area. Never thought it would happen. 24, we started in a living room, and I, and I drive by, and it just kind of, you just have those surreal moments where you're surprised by what God has done in your life. You kind of you are surprised, not only how he saved you, what he's doing, and, and, and what he's called you to, and that happens just about every time I drive by that school and I drive by this and when I'm going to the grocery store or whatever. It just blows my, uh, my mind. I drive by this church and I think, who's the pastor there? Oh, it's me, okay? It's a weird moment, but I just, I come to this place of just being overwhelmed and grateful for not only you, but just grateful for what he has done. Have you had one of those moments lately? 
Have you had a moment where you've gone back, and maybe for you it was when we had communion a few weeks ago, or whenever that was, and you took that bread, and you ate the bread, and you remembered his body was broken for me. His blood, when you drank that, his blood was spilled for me. He sacrificed for me. Maybe it's whenever you sang a song, maybe this morning, great is your faithfulness to me. You've done something in the past. You've been faithful to me. And and, and if you haven't gone to that place in a while, I, I hope to get you there this morning to get you to a place because there's something that begins to happen in our hearts when we go back and we remember what God has done for us. When we begin to think about what he has brought us out of, maybe it's when you read the Bible and you read a verse like this that many of you have memorized, for God so loved, and you say the world, and it does say the world, but you're a part of that world. God so loved me that he did what? Say, what did he do? He gave. He was generous with me so that I could have eternal life, abundant life, full. Do you know what I mean? You go back to the place of remembering what he did. The apostle Paul would take a church that he had started, that he was trying to create a culture of generosity within this church at Corinth, and Paul would say this. Paul was trying to teach them to be generous. Paul wouldn't strong arm them. He wouldn't manipulate them. He wouldn't like pressure them. Paul would just do something that I, that I hope also to do with you is to point you back to Jesus and what Jesus has done for you. To point you to this place. And th- look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says this. He says, you know, and he's talking to a group of people who are the church. You know the generous, what does it say, grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for, I put my name here, my sake, your sake, he became poor. So that by his poverty, we could be made rich. And obviously that goes beyond a monetary value. You know what I mean? It's, it's this heavenly wealth that I experience where he has saved me out of something where I could not save myself. When I say this word ridiculous today, as we're talking about generosity, I don't mean that in a negative way. I just say it as we think about how generous God has been with us. Sometimes there's just not words to describe it adequately. Ridiculous, you could say outrageous, you could say so many different things, right? Overwhelming, there's just not adequate words. To think about our perfect Savior was, who was rich in heaven, saw us in our condition, right? He created us to live in this w- wonderful place. We messed it up, and then he said, I'm, I'm going to save them out of this. He came into our poverty, our poverty so that we might, and took our punishment so that we might be made rich with him in eternity forever. This is a point that we start with today, and it is that all generosity starts with God. When we start talking about living generously, and we we understand what that means to to live with open hands and not with, with, with fists that are clenched onto our things, we understand that the premise of generosity is modeled to us by God. When I actually begin to think like this, it begins to change my mindset that all that I have, everything that I am today, and where I am going, you know, not only heaven, but where the trajectory that God has put me on is all because of him. When I understand that, it begins to do something within my heart in relationship to the possessions that I have in my life. 
I, I all of a sudden understand something. They're not my possessions, although it seems that way, they're his. They're not, it's not my time, it's his time that he's given me the task of managing and stewarding. It's not my treasure, it's his, right? It's, it's not my talents or the skiffs, or the, or the, skiffs, the skills and the gifts. I just tried to shorten it a little bit there. That, that he's given to me that, that, that I am to use, they're his. And here's what happens when I start to have a sense of gratitude and understanding that everything is because of his grace. It gives me this idea of gratitude which moves me to generosity, that, which moves me out of greed. Whenever I begin to think this way, God does something. So we've been in this series in Proverbs, and we've been talking about what does it look like to live a wise life, to make choices that are God-honoring, but also wise for our, our lives. And we've been looking. We're going to look a little bit today in Proverbs, but we're also going to go to Matthew 21, so you can kind of get ready for both of those. But we've been talking about this, these paths that we have to choose. Life is made up of choices, and one way is calling us into wisdom, a wise way of living. Solomon would talk about these paths, the way of wisdom, but also, equally, you are also being beckoned by and called by folly or foolishness. Now, what Solomon is going to allude to over and over again in the book of Proverbs is these things that lead to wisdom and a wise way of living and these things that also lead to a foolish way of living you're going to see many times, if you've been reading with us in the Proverbs Challenge, you've seen that generosity is linked to wisdom, to live generously. And let, in fact, let me just give you a few uh, examples of this big idea. And here's what, again, we're going to look here in Proverbs, but we're going to go to, to Matthew 21 and probably spend most of our time there. But I want you to see how how God works through the generosity of everyday people like us and how he chooses to achieve his kingdom work. Look in Proverbs, look at what he says. And I want you to think of how God flips everything upside down from what our human nature would desire and what the way our culture operates. Look at what it says, Proverbs eleven twenty four: Give freely, he says, and become, what does it say? More wealthy. That does not make sense in my mind. Does it yours? It seems like to hoard more to myself would make me more wealthy. To keep more for me seems like, okay, and God, what, what Proverbs is saying is God flips that upside down. That when we are generous, when we give freely, we actually become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will, what's the word? Say it with me, church, come on. Prosper. Now, that is a word that has been hijacked today by some false teaching, but I want you to know that there is a biblical understanding of I'm not just talking about a health and wealth gospel, okay? There's, there's a well-being that we experience in our lives when we live generously. And he says this. In fact, will you read the last part of that verse with me? Those, say it with me, who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. How many of you have ever experienced that? Where you've given and, and, and afterward you were like, I actually feel better about my own life because I understand something. I've been refreshed even though I refresh somebody else. You ever experienced that? So you know that this, this principle is something that has been true within your life. So remember, Solomon is teaching his son. He's trying to teach his son who will be a king one day. What he's saying is, son, I want you to understand that foolishness is tied to stinginess. 
Foolishness and folly is tied to a person who thinks only about themselves. But son, listen, you're going to be given much. You're going to be given much. And I want you to understand that generosity is tied to a wise way of living. To be generous, to give to others, to live with open hands. And it's not only about monetary wealth. There is a deeper, richer sense of life and peace and joy when you choose the way of wisdom, which is a way of generosity. Proverbs 28, he says this, greed causes fighting. Some of you have experienced that maybe at work or you've experienced that in your family. Greed, where it is about for me, right, I've got to get mine, causes inner turmoil, which ends up translating into outer turmoil in your relationships. But then you flip it around Instead of like worrying about yourself, instead trusting the Lord here leads to prosperity. It leads us to be more like Jesus. We know that Jesus was a giver, not a taker. And that's a good question to ask myself. Am I more of a giver or am I more of a consumer and a taker? I want to be more like Jesus. Verse 27, whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing. One who is generous, who sees others, notices in, in, and understands a responsibility. But those who close their eyes to poverty, and we so easily can do this, it says that's kind of a cursed way of living. It's counterintuitive to want to give. It's counterintuitive to want to give when you're in a shaky economy too. It like goes against everything within our flesh. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 in the ESV says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the, what's the word? First fruits. First fruits literally means this, first and best. Not leftovers, but first and best. We choose to give to God not out of our, uh, we give to God first in faith, we trust him. And, and he goes on and he says, he says this, give the first and best of all that you produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. What I think much of this means is there's satisfaction in your life. There's, there's plenty. God takes, because you're trusting him first with the first and best. He takes care of you. So now there's something, we've got so many new people here at EBC, and I love it. I love that you're new. I love that you're here. We want you here. We want you to find a home here. And I want you to understand something. It is our desire to turn this church and the culture of this church into having a reputation of being one of the most generous churches of our generations. And when I say generations, we're not just talking about the here and now, we're talking about impacting generations coming behind us, uh, right? Or, or the ones that are out ahead. Uh, I want you to think about this. So this is something, when we talk about generosity, this is also what I want you to feel as a church. I want you to be able to, when your pastor talks about being generous, you relax. Because I know that whenever, whenever a lot of times we talk about generosity or we talk about giving, it's easy to kind of start, I mean, we start feeling this. Maybe you've been burned. You've been burned in the past. I want you to relax. I want you to rest in the Lord. I want you to relax and do business with God. I never want you to do something because I've like strong-armed you into it. And I promise you, I won't do that to you. If you've been around here for the 24 years, you know that we do not do it like that. We teach you the word of God, we teach you the principles, and we trust God moves your heart into generosity. We are working hard as a church. We feel very called to this because the reputation of the church as a whole has been so damaged by, 
by misuse of funds, by, by inappropriate, you know, spending and all kinds of craziness or whatever, uh, we feel a responsibility to restore the reputation of the church in America. To be one of those that is working hard with financial integrity and checks and balances and accountability and all of these things. To, to be certain that as you are, as you're giving, you feel confident in knowing that what is happening is going to change lives. That it's going for something that you intended it through. So I want you to be able to relax. I also want you to know this, that I want to teach you principles of generosity because I have seen and observed that they work and they've worked in my life. I promise you this, Hope and I will never ask you to do something that we do not believe in and that we are not already doing ourselves. Every year we seek to give a little bit more and more. And, and, and this is what I want you to hear, not out of legalism. I don't do that because there's a board making me do that. I do that because I believe and see the, in the, the lives that are being changed. And I also, I want, because I got to tell you, there's a, there's a part of my flesh, I'm just being honest with you, that wants to hold on, <laughs> that wants to hoard, that wants to, to, you know, there's just that part that wants to consume. And it is an antidote for materialism in our lives as a family to begin to give more, to trust more to see God do more with others. And I want you to understand those principles of generosity. I think I have a responsibility as a pastor to teach you that. To teach you principles like he who refreshes others, he will be refreshed. To teach you principles that whenever you give, that God uses that beyond what even you can see. And here is the third thing that I want you to understand. When we talk about generosity, I, again, I want you to relax. I want you to just, you know, I'm never, I'm not a high pressure preacher. I'll just tell you, and I let God speak to you. Crazy it is, here's the third thing, is that God chooses to take the mission he has given us, and he uses the generosity of his people to get it to places around the world. It's crazy that he does this. I heard a, a message a while back from a pastor that I admire. A pastor who has preached some amazing messages. His name is uh, Pastor Louis Giglio. And... Uh, and Pastor Louis was talking in a message about this radical generosity. And the premise that he used, so I, I want to give him some credit because I want to bring up some things that he used in that message today. It impacted my view of generosity. It impacted mine. And I just felt like sharing this with you. And the premise was God has been so incredibly, radically generous to me why would I not want to be generous back with him and generous with others? Why would I not want to do this? And he really began to, to just drill in on this. And God was doing a move in my heart because it's generosity, and this is so important you catch this, that is never driven by pressure or legalism. That's not of God. It's a generosity. Paul would even talk to that church in Corinthians. Don't do it under compulsion. Do it because you begin to think about what God has done for you and you just want to be a blessing to others. You want others to experience what you have experienced within, within your own life. So it's done out of joy. It's done out of grace. My response to grace, not to get to heaven, not because somebody's telling me to do this. I do this because I want to be generous like my Lord. Matthew 21, as we look at this passage, I want you to keep in mind that... Um, there are these wise ways of living. And we're going to connect this passage with Proverbs, okay? And, uh, and this passage we're looking at is appropriate as we turn toward Easter in a few weeks. Did you hear a moment ago, I was back there, 
Did you hear we're doing seven services that day? Now you can hear that and just be like, yeah, whoop-de-doo, whatever, okay? I don't think that way. It's part of driving by and thinking, oh my goodness. Here's what I'm trying to tell you, church. Do you know this? There are churches all across America that are closing their doors. Do you know that? It's happening fast. We're getting to be a part of something that God is doing where we got to go. We got to do this seven times on a weekend here. Now, I'm feeling tired already. I'm letting you know, all right? But it excites me, man. I'm excited about that. Seven times, those who are on the, on the band that week, they're like, oh, my goodness, all right? They're volunteers, right? It excites me. And, and do you understand the opportunity that God is giving us by more and more people that are coming? It is not about becoming the biggest church. Do you know what it's about? It's about every person that lives in this community hearing how much Jesus loves them. That he died for them, that he has been raised from the dead, and that he wants to be in their life. And that every one of these chairs that are empty, I want you to be thinking about who you can invite to come and hear. Because I promise you, I'm going to preach about Jesus on that day. They're going to hear how much Jesus loves them. But this passage is appropriate as we turn towards Easter. Jesus is taking a turn into Jerusalem, getting ready to do the most generous thing that has ever been done in the history of the world. He is ready to sacrifice it all for you and for me. This is called the triumphal entry. And in Matthew chapter 21, this is what it says. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead, go into the village over there, and he said, as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with a colt beside it. Untie them, all right, these two donkeys, and bring them over to me. It's kind of a strange way that Jesus would go about, uh, right, inaugurating this great mission that he came for. He is, he's about to fulfill this great sacrifice. He's coming in as a king. And he says to a couple of guys who are following him, he said, Look, I want you to go into that town, and I want you to get someone else's donkeys, untie them, and bring them over to me because I, I want to borrow them. I want to use them on this particular day. It's not a complicated request. It's not this uh, trick thing that he's telling them to do. Go get the donkeys. Go borrow them. Bring them. I'm going to use them today. And now we don't know which disciples it was. It doesn't say. We don't know who it was. But what we know, this is interesting, is that Matthew records, he's the only one of the four Gospels that records, this, made, this story made it into all four Gospels, Matthew's the only one that records that there were two donkeys. There's a few reasons that people believe that this is, the other ones just record one. There were two who maybe were not eyewitnesses and they just didn't see it. Matthew has a specific reason that he is achieving in this Gospel. One is that he is showing the Jewish audience that Jesus is this king, he is this Messiah, and, and it had been prophesied 500 years before that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey, okay? And so, so anyhow, Matthew is pointing out that there are two. It doesn't mean that, that the others didn't see the two, they just it wasn't part of their purpose in telling the story. Now, if I had been one of the two guys to go ask to get one of the donkeys, there would have been a question that would be rolling through my mind, and that is this, when I go get those donkeys, does the guy who owns the donkeys know that you sent me? Or am I going to get in trouble 
for jacking a couple of donkeys, right? Now, I want you to know, when I wrote this message this week, there were all kinds of things I filtered right there. You can go and understand. It's a donkey jacking. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, Are are those people going to know that I'm about to go take a couple of their donkeys? I mean, that's a big thing for this family here. And, uh, And so... Jesus knew that his disciples were thinking this, and he's saying, they're, they're going to ask you what you're doing. So Jesus says this, look, if anyone asks what you are doing, you just say, the Lord needs them. This word Lord is the word kurios. It's the first time Jesus speaks of himself in this manner. This word is not just like you would say, my Lord, or whatever. This is the Lord. He's speaking of himself in this way. And he will immediately let you take them. I don't know how that happened, but Jesus is arranging things here. This took place to fulfill prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem. This is a prophetic thing that Matthew is working in uh, of Isaiah and Zechariah. These two passages coming together. Tell the people of Zion, of Jerusalem, look, your, say it with me, church, your, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. I don't think he was riding two donkeys at one time. Jesus wasn't donkey surfing, okay, or anything like that. Most likely, the older donkey was the experienced one on the trail, and the younger donkey would have gladly followed. Now, Jesus could have made this donkey do whatever, right? But it would have gladly followed its mama, okay? And so this is what we see. These Two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. Can you just start envisioning this? He's coming into Jerusalem. They are looking for the next king. They are looking for their Messiah. They are looking for the Savior, and they are hearing things about this one named Jesus. They spread their garments on the road and others cut branches from trees and they spread them on the road. They did this for kings. Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, praise God for the son of David. This also translates Hosanna. Do you know what this means? Lord, save now. We need a savior. We're desperate for a Messiah. Save us, Lord, save us. Jesus is declaring who he is before them. And then they say, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it is Jesus, the prophet from the Nazareth up north, right, in Galilee. So when we talk about this ridiculous generosity, how God has been so generous, there are reasons that it's ridiculous. And I want you to begin to process this with me, okay? The first thing is this, is that the creator of, it's ridiculous because the creator of the universe is asking me for something. Have you thought about that? The, crea- the one who has made it all, the one who owns it all, the one who, Jesus was from the very, be- the very beginning, he's always existed. John speaks about that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He has always existed. It's ridiculous that the God who has created all can create anything and everything at any point, 
that he decides to ask. Here's the other thing that's ridiculous about this. He doesn't have to ask. He's the God of the universe, but he does. In fact, Psalm 24 speaks about this. The, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. God began to change my heart about generosity when I started understanding the principles that everything that I have and that I am, it's all his. I'm just a manager right now in this season. It's crazy to think of how God chooses to do this, to go do the greatest thing that has ever been done, to pay for the sins of all humanity, being the most generous one who has ever lived, to not only die on the cross, to be raised from the dead. He owns all things. He made all things. It seems like he could have just bypassed this whole donkey thing. Why, 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 do, I, why do I need to do this? Why do I need to ask anybody? He, he was going to be uh, certain to come into the town on the colt of a donkey, one, because it was prophesied about him. You may wonder, why a donkey? Isn't that weird? Like, wouldn't you think, shouldn't it be something a little more majestic than a donkey? This is what they understood in this time. Kings who rode into town on donkeys were coming in humility, and they were coming in peace. Kings who came in on big horses, war horses, we're coming in judgment, and we're coming to make war. Jesus is announcing in his first coming the kind of God and king he is. Now, if you keep reading the story in his second coming, in Revelation 21, guess what he's coming back on? A great white horse. Right? He comes in humility, this, and they understood this in this culture, and, and he's coming as a servant, and, 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 and think about it, if Jesus, the creator, wanted a donkey, he could have been like, I need a donkey, right, and one emerges. He could have, but he doesn't do it like this. He could have just, out of thin air, created this. He commanded nature. He commanded the waves. He commanded the storms. Did he not? He walked on the water. He would turn, you know, water into, into wine. He, did, he healed. He did all of these miraculous things. He, he, he made fish appear for Peter who was not catching any fish. He commanded all of this, but instead, this isn't how he chooses to do this. Instead, he chooses to ask someone to give something that technically already belongs to him, but he asks if he can use it. <laughs> he asks if he can borrow this. He invites this man and this family to be a part of the story. If God wanted medical clinics in Honduras and Senegal and other places where we, where we have done some of these kinds of things, if God wanted to do that, he could make them up here. He could, but he doesn't do it like that. He invites his people to be a part of the process. He invites us to live generously, right? To, 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 to be involved in what he is doing. And it's crazy, right? Jesus comes to the people he has made and he asks us to borrow and use things that he has given us in the first place. And he invites us to be in on his mission of the gospel going. By the way, the medical clinics, the schools, all these things, we meet physical needs and there's always a desire. There are churches that are being planted. There's always a desire for the gospel to go out. Those are platforms for people to hear about. We love people. We love God, right? We make disciples. That's what we're called to do. It's always so that the gospel is presented to people when they find out about this. This is what he does. There's something 
big I'm wanting you to catch here on the culture of generosity we're trying to create here at ABC. And it's really what I believe will take you and will, it takes me over the threshold of becoming one of the most generous churches of our generation. Here is the thing. Are you ready? We have to understand that God does not have to use us. There's not a sense of entitlement like God has to bless this church or bless you. Or we have to get beyond this sense of entitlement and understand God doesn't have to. He delights in utilizing us. He delights in involving us. He delights in inviting us into what he is doing. Let me tell you what has also been ridiculous in my life is I just get honest with you because I have not always been generous. That all the things that he has done for me, there has also been times in my life, I'm just being real with you, where I have felt he is leading me to do something, to be generous, and I in my heart have said no. Be kind of like, you know, I've heard another pastor say this, okay, but be kind of like you being at McDonald's with your kids, and you buy everything for them, right, and you go to get one of your fries that you bought, <laughs> and your kid's like, these are mine. And you're like, oh, no, they're not. Don't forget where those came from. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's ridiculous, right? But, but instead, you know, he invites us to be a part of the story. I started thinking, what would have happened if this man, if the disciples show up and they're like, hey, Jesus, the Lord needs your donkeys. And he's like, I don't think so. It's my donkeys. Obviously, Jesus could find another donkey somewhere or whatever, okay? But there was something that was going on within the heart of this man. The Lord was speaking to this man in some way. I don't know. But because of his generosity, do you realize this? And we don't know his name, but we're still talking about him today. He was written into the story. He was invited into the story. Do you know all four of the gospel accounts talk about this situation? It could have gone down, right, like this. Jesus also could have said, you go to that guy and you tell them, you tell him this. Those are my donkeys. I'm going to use them when I want to use them. No, he said, go and, go and tell them the Lord needs them for a little bit. Go and just tell them that the Lord needs them. The point is, he could have come into town any way he wanted. This is crazy. It's ridiculous. The king of the universe humbly asked to borrow a couple of donkeys. It blows my mind. Jesus shows us his heart. He shows us his humility. Right? It's incredible to think about this, that the God of the universe expresses that kind of humility. And he calls us to be the same way, right? Here's another reason this kind of generosity is ridiculous. It's ridiculous because Jesus comes into town on the generosity of everyday people like us. One thing Daniel said in there, he's like, what can, what can I, a pastor from Texas, do? You know, or whatever. It's everyday people that he chooses to use. It, it wasn't a horse or a chariot from a king that he said, go get that guy's chariot. No, it's every day. He goes into town from a family that was just in a probably a poor little village on the outside, an ordinary, everyday guy who just said, okay, the Lord can use this. <laughs> okay. And church, listen, do you know this? This is exactly how Jesus still chooses to ride into villages and towns all over the world, it is on the generosity of his people. Ordinary people that essentially say, okay, Lord, 
my life's yours, everything we have, it's yours. We, it, we want you, we want to just be in the story. Think about how Jesus fed the 5,000. You talking about that story? You know about that story? Jesus fed the 5,000 people. What could he have done? He could have just made fish and loaves appear out of nothing. Instead, he said, what do the people have? Well, a little boy said, I got a sack lunch. He said, perfect. Bring the sack lunch. A few fish, a few loaves. He invited the boy into the process. He did not need the boy. He did not need the donkey owner. He doesn't need us. But we're still talking about that boy today. There's a legacy of generosity. He fed thousands, not just 5,000. It was 5,000 men. Do you see what I'm saying? He invites us and he uses everyday people. He uses little boys. He uses donkey owners. He uses people like us to be a part of the process. He loves, loves doing it that way. He doesn't just appear in cities. He rides in on the generosity of the people. He appears in places like Harlem, Honduras, Senegal, Saginaw. Do you know that 24 years ago this month, the reason we were able to start is because there were people in other churches that believed in a punk kid. I don't know why. A punk kid in his 20s who said, I want to start a church where people know Jesus. Do you know you're here today because other churches gave to that? I mean, when I say you're here, you're here in a, in a place. And now we're planting all over. We're involved all over. It's this exponential thing God does. It's crazy to think of how now we're in places like Detroit, Seattle, Harlem, Sherbrooke, Canada, Montreal, Canada, La Pradera, Regadero, Achiote, Roanoke, Cleburne, Hazlitt, Wataga, Ghana, Denver, Manila, right, Philippines, Hanoi, Phnom Penh, Kenya. I can't even name them all because there are so many. And I want you to understand there were people who gave to us years ago. Now we're giving to people out ahead. Isn't it crazy how it happens like that? That's what happens. This is how he chooses to do this. The extraordinary things happen when God's people say, okay, Lord. Okay, we want to be generous. And I want you to see this. I love this part of that passage. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. The entire city was turned upside down. People were like, who is this Jesus guy? Who is this? And others started saying, it's Jesus. Right? The, the, that, that word, this uproar, it's stirred. It's like turned upside down. There's a frenzy when Jesus rides into town on the generosity of someone who was available, everything was about Jesus. People were asking him questions about Jesus. People were saying, Hosanna, save us now. Everything was about Jesus. This is how he does it. It's crazy when we think that he does it this way and that he invites us. And here's the third thing. God writes people into the story when they're available. When we actually choose, the man with the donkeys got written into the story. Again, we don't know his name, but we are talking about something that he did, right? Something that he gave. God didn't have to include these details in the Gospels. He didn't have to. He could have just said, we got a donkey. But it's in there for a reason. He wants us to see some generosity happen here. 
some faith. It's crazy to think that 500 years before this event happened, one of the prophets prophesied that it would happen like this. And it just makes me wonder, that prophet knew years ago the generosity of someone would turn a city upside down. It makes me wonder what cities will be turned upside down because of the generosity of us. What if it's 50 years from now, 100 years, depending on when Jesus comes back, right? But because people decide to be faithful, just like this man was, what story does God want to write? Last year, um, I got an opportunity, got invited to come to Senegal, Africa to witness one of the places where we have been involved over the last couple of years. And we're partnering with, a, with some, a church planting development center there. And there's just amazing things that are happening. So we went last year, last summer. And, uh, and, and, and it was a, it was a, a, a trip into a, co- a country that is predominantly Muslim. And there's persecution that happens for believers who are there. One of the things that we learned while we were there was I had no idea how many. We've been supporting about 30 planters at a time who will be trained, and then they go out and they plant churches. And we learned that over the last five years, they have planted 400 churches. 400 And I started thinking, what am I doing here? Like, I'm going to tell them anything. We need to learn from them, right? About planting in some of the hardest places. And so whenever uh, we go into this, uh, they have a celebration. We go into uh, the village for the celebration. By the way, we're also partnering in India with an organization that is doing that, training church planters. And they graduated 1,000 church planters last year. It's incredible that this is happening. We're being a part of that. You're getting into that. So I go into this village for the church planner graduation to get to witness this and celebrate with them. And I was going through my pictures this week. I'd already written this message. I, I, the message about the donkey and all this. And I was going through pictures and I came across this picture right here. I was like, oh my goodness, this is one of the first pictures I came across whenever I was, whenever I was going into this village in there. Now, I, I want you to know that I named that, I named that donkey Randy. Okay, that was my donkey. He's our executive pastor. His name's Randy. And I texted that to him. I said, look, I named him Randy. He sent me something back. I noticed that there are two of them. What is the other one's name? Implying that that would be my name. I said, Danny. Okay, that's Danny. I got Randy and Danny. But I go into this city, and, and again, this is what hit me this week. I was so moved by this. Because I was there to witness the generosity of you. And it was like, as I was thinking about this this week, being reminded that a village was turned upside down. Not just a village, villages were turned upside down. They graduated 200 church planners that day in that thing. And they were going out all over Senegal. A village was turned upside down as it was being, it was coming in on the backs of the generosity of God's people here. And other places in the U.S. that are giving and supporting them and helping them. I, w- I want you to see how that village was turned upside down. This is crazy. Okay, got to make this quick. But here's that day many of you gave to Operation Christmas Child. You've been doing that for years maybe. And we've been a part of that. Thousands of boxes have gone out. That day, those kids, I had no idea this was happening that day. They were getting their OCC boxes. And I don't know that those were ours. I don't want to fabricate this. I just know that. It was a representation of your generosity. Those kids not only get toys, they also get something that tells them about Jesus. And they were getting preached to about Jesus. That day also, because of your generosity, I was able to put 700 Bibles in those church planters' hands, tools in their toolbox. 
And I want you to tell you, those Bibles are not going to sit on a bookshelf never being read. There's no telling how many families and lives will be changed by those Bibles because of you. I mean, I was just crying the whole time I was there. They asked me to speak to their church planners, and I was bringing like a word of encouragement. I, I could barely do it. There's so many of those guys' lives are on the line where they go into these toughest of places. And they were telling me, I was sitting with them, some of them were telling me about the persecution they face and the things, and I'm just like, what am I doing up here? You need to be preaching to me to be faithful. It's just all that kind of stuff's happening, coming in on the generosity, on the backs of the generosity of the people of EDC and other churches. Same things are happening in India where we are involved. A thousand church planners. Look at that. That, that. that is a church planner graduation. And they are celebrating. I've got videos of it. It's insane. Also, sewing machines are going to church planters' wives who are using that as a platform not only to help support their families, but also to teach other women in villages where they go how to sew. And while they do that, they tell them about Jesus. It's a platform to share the gospel. And all of these kinds of things are happening. Isn't it crazy? It's mind-blowing that God does it like this. Water wells in Honduras. You, you gave. It happened. People are getting clean water. Medical clinics. They're hearing about Jesus. Churches are being started in these places. This generosity is ridiculous because here's the final thing. Ready? We always get back more than we give. And I know that's not the reason why we should want to do this or whatever. I understand that. But, but here is something that comes up over and over again in Scripture. And I know that it's not always monetary. Sometimes it is. Some of you could testify. Man, I've given and God always seems to do more in that monetary way. I've experienced that at certain times. But I believe it's so much more than just monetary. In fact, what I really believe more than anything is there's an exponential reward in heaven that Jesus talked about. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Right? It's by the way we serve, by the way we love, by the way we give. Paul, in the book of 1 Timothy, I don't have time to read it, but in chapter 6, go read it. He talks about is, is tell the rich to give. Tell them to be generous. Tell these people in churches to share with others and not to hoard. And he says, in doing so, you're storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Not getting yourself to heaven. That's faith in Christ. But there's a reward attached to this Last scripture, Proverbs 19, 17. Look at what Proverbs says. Wisdom, again, if you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord. Doesn't that seem odd? I'm letting God bar. Isn't it his? Yeah, look at this, and he will, say it with me. Say it with me. Repay you. He takes care of his people, does he not? I don't want to be a channel, that, or excuse me, a reservoir that just keeps taking, 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 taking. Man, I've lived life like that. I want to be a conduit of blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. That is the full kind of life. That as I refresh others, he refreshes me. I want to invite you to pray with me, okay? As we bow our heads before the Lord. Again, I don't know what happened to those donkeys. I assume he got them back. He probably followed along. (laughs) 
was like, this is crazy. And the whole time, I think, as he's following, he's thinking, he's watching, he's thinking. Maybe he goes back home after Jesus is done. He's taking the donkeys back, and he puts them in the stable. He thinks, I got them back. Maybe he goes inside. Wife, you're not going to believe this. Shares. She probably asks, did he give the donkeys back? They're in the stable eating hay. But here's the thing that was the exponential thing. He realizes this man, I can't prove this. I'm just speculating. He's, he's personal like we're people. <laughs> he realizes, I got to be a part of a bigger story. This isn't about donkeys. This is about the king of kings. And he invited us into the process. I want you just to begin, right? I want you just to begin to, to ask the Lord, or excuse me, to tell the Lord, just thank you. Thank you for what you've done. That's why you're here today to worship. Thank you, God. Thank you. And Lord, I know it's just not <laughs> you just blessing me just to bless me. You're blessing me to be a blessing. So I open my life to you. I open my hands to you. I, I want a full, abundant life. And I know it's just not about consuming. I want to be more like you, Jesus. I want to refresh others. And I know that I will be refreshed in giving and being generous. Thank you, Jesus, for inviting us into the story. It's in your name we pray.